This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Afternoon, Cherries fans, and welcome to this latest show here on Up the Cherries in all departments. Now, of course, we are in June, in the middle of the summer, and therefore it's boiling high outside. It's lovely weather. Um, however, there's not much football happening. So what we wanted to do was have a look at last season, but also look at Gary O'Neill and the fantastic job that he's done, but also some of the stick that he got on social media platforms. We also wanted to have a look at the players that have left the club, also the players that were on loan, and what the future may hold. Can we better our position from last season? So, there is one man that is a regular on the show now. He does do reporting for Sky Sports, and that man did put out a tweet after that Leeds game with regards to Gary O'Neill. So it is a pleasure to welcome onto the show again, Mark McAdam. Welcome back, Mark. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> welcome back. The season's barely finished and uh, yeah, we're already starting to focus on next season's campaign. But uh, yeah, no, all good. Thanks, Craigie. Yeah. Thank you so much again as well for coming on, mate. And um, it's a pleasure as always to have you on. So, um, it was an eventful season last year. Um, and I think one thing that we should mention firstly, because I had, throughout the season, dogs abuse, to be perfectly honest, for my backing of Gary O'Neill. And do you know what? Full credit to you for what you put out on Twitter that day about the situation. Um, was it something that was planned for a little while? Or uh, did you have in the Arsenal as soon as we secured safety? I didn't have anything written. I didn't have anything planned as such. I'd felt for a number of months that some of the criticism was unfair. And mm-hmm. I was seeing stuff on social media that was very unlike what I'd seen in the past from Bournemouth fans. Um, you know, we're a small community club. We're together. Um, there's, a, there's a great you know, set of supporters there that have been through so much off the pitch as well as on it. You know, we've got those those moments in history where the club was teetering on the edge. 
and that's brought us closer together. And um, I just saw a lot of things that I just thought, thought were unfair. And, um, you know, I just thought, hang on a second, you know, we just need to be a little bit more supportive and a little less criticism, you know, a little less criticism head headed towards this direction. Let's take a step back from the situation. We all want the team to be successful, but let's judge Gary in better circumstances. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I just, I said what I said. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. Some people thought it was aimed at specific... It wasn't aimed at people that want to criticise the manager's formation or team selection or tactics. Um, it was it was aimed at the the nastiness and you know the the, the the horrible pictures and the campaigns and the the other things that were just unfair and the targeted abuse towards his family and so on and so forth. That's that's not fair. That's not right. And that needed to be called out, in my opinion. Um, and as I say, if someone got offended or upset by it, then they clearly didn't get where it was coming from mm -hmm. um so i just think it's one of those things it's easy to sit here now and talk about gary o'neill being a great manager and doing a great job yeah yeah um because he's kept the team in the premier league uh at the time you know he, he was up against it and and that's where i feel that the bournemouth fans need to be at their their most vocal and their most supportive and when you analyze the the run that they had a really bad run let's let's not make no bones about it the run after the world cup was poor but you also have to take into consideration the opponents you're playing, the fact that we haven't had the ability to strengthen the transfer window, the fact that there were huge injuries to key players um, and a little bit of unluckiness in there as well. And, and it was like, well, hang on a second. I, all the, 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 the messages I'm getting from the dressing room, from the training pitches, from around the club, they're all positive. They're all behind the manager. No one's not playing for Gary. Everyone thinks he's doing a really solid job. They're enjoying training. Tactically, he's very, very clever. He's very good. I'm hearing stuff from outside of people out there at the club as well that are saying good things about Gary O'Neill. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a second. That doesn't marry up with what the Bournemouth fans feel. So, you know, you, you need to be a little bit less critical and a little bit more supportive. And then, you know, obviously let things breathe. Give him a chance with the window. Let him bring in the players he wants to bring in. Let the club work with the new owner in their first transfer window and see what happens. And sure enough, you know, they go from the bottom of the Premier League to safety quite comfortably within six weeks. And, you know, everyone looks back and goes, well, yeah, he's, he's done an incredible job. Um, but that said, he'll still face criticism and all eyes will be on him at the start of next season to see how he gets on. I think I got a little bit more of an insight than most Bournemouth fans of how Gary O'Neill operates because back in September and... Um, God bless his soul, um, Elgard, a very good friend. Um, and it was something that Fletcher sorted out for me. Um, he actually organised for Al to have a wander around Dean Court as well and go and meet all the players, watch training session. And um, Gary O'Neill sat down with us for about five, ten minutes, I would say, and talked in about his philosophy. And it was before the Brentford game. And it was effectively... If Brentford do this, we do this. And he seems so astute, so assured of what he was actually, his whole game plan. And I thought he's thinking the same, along the same wavelength as what Eddie did. And there were signs in him then of Eddie. You know, of course, he was a new manager, was learning his trade. But did you see that as well? Yeah, that was one of the first things I got told. Um, from people that had worked with Gary, from people that had played with Gary in the latter stages of his playing career. 
was that he was very tactically astute. He was very clever with the game plans he came up with. Um, I was being, being told by members of his family that he literally does not stop working. You know, he gets home from training and he sits in front of the laptop and he's doing analysis and he's working out game plans and he's doing all of the things that most managers wouldn't do away from the training ground. Um, he was giving, you know, 12, 16 hours a day to the club and to the cause of trying to win games. Yeah. So therefore it kind of, that was, I was hearing positive things about him um, and, and I didn't hear, you know, very little negatives. And, and that's why uh, it came as a bit of a surprise that people were so vitriolic uh, with their, their, com their comments about him and so unfair and nasty because, hang on a second, you, you don't, you, you know, that, that's not coming from a place of knowledge. That's coming from a place of social media and maybe watching the, the team on a match day. Um, so, yeah, of course, like we said, there were poor performances. There were matches where things weren't good enough and it was difficult to see the identity. But, you, you know, the key thing in that situation was judge Gary when he's got his best team on the pitch. Judge Gary after a transfer window is first at the club. Um, and judge Gary over a prolonged period of time where there's been some decent, decent games, decent performances. And then you can make a judgment on him. And, you know, Bournemouth fans need to rest assured that if Gary O'Neill is not doing a good job, the first people to know about it and the first people to make a change will be the board. That's what they do. You know, they, they, they did not buy the football club thinking, well, it doesn't matter if we go down to the championship. No, they bought the football club with huge ambitions and they wanted to be successful and achieve things. And therefore, if that meant making a change with the manager, I'm pretty certain they would have done that. Um, but they were taking their time and doing things sensibly, not kind of shooting off at the hip and just making a rash decision after a poor result. They were letting things breathe. And then, obviously, they would have made their decision. Their decision was to carry on going with Gary, stick with him. They believed in what he was doing and what was happening in the training ground. And obviously, it came to fruition with 15th in the Premier League and 39 points. It seemed to me that it was a vocal minority rather than the silent majority at Dean Court because I did hear during games in that running um, Leicester away for one um, of course there were shouts of Gary O'Neill against Spurs as well but there was you know that vocal minority I think that was building that up um, and some of the abuse he got was absolutely despicable it doesn't represent our club you know of course this shirt is everyone together and the clown pictures of course there was even worse than that the Osama bin laden pictures as well um do you feel that you know most the majority of bournemouth fans were behind him throughout that running i don't honestly know i don't um i don't use social media um mm. a great deal um, you know, I post stuff for work as and where appropriate. I try and keep all my fans up to date in the transfer window with, with accurate information. Um, but I don't actively kind of uh, engage with, with fans, you know, forums and chats and yeah. all those kind of things. So I, I don't know how supportive. And like you say, it's always the vocal minority that seem to get the most attention. Um, all I know is that off the back of the, the tweet I sent and the, the kind of the note I made, there was a lot of people that reached out to me to say that they agreed. Um, and there were some people that didn't didn't agree, and and that's football. Um, and I, I didn't do it for reaction. I didn't do it to upset people. I just wanted to make some people aware that it's not cool to abuse people. You know, I get abused on social media every week, 
you know, whether it's something I've said on Sky Sports or an opinion I've got or some information I've put out there or something I've said on on air, people want to come onto social media and be nasty. And I just think, well, you know, I, I don't understand that world. I don't understand. You know, I don't watch TV and think, oh, yeah. she's done a rubbish job. He's crap at his job. I don't agree with that opinion. I'm going to go and abuse that person on social media. Boom, boom, boom. You're a such and such. I don't live in that world, uh, so I don't understand it. And I, I struggle to get my head around it. Um, but I think, you know, largely Bournemouth fans are aware of the club's position and what they're doing and where they're going. And, you know, I think you just have to, you know, judge the manager at the right times. Let's be honest. We will be judging Gary O'Neill next season. You know, he's finished on 39 points and finished 15th in the Premier League. So the expectation now for Bournemouth fans would be, let's try and improve on that. And that's what I think. You know, let's try and improve. Every year, got to improve. Now, whether that's the position or the points tally or the number of goals scored or the, no, no, the goals conceded, whatever the, the things that you think are the things that we should be trying to attain, then, then that's fine. But don't judge Gary O'Neill after two games next season. You know, don't let's judge Gary O'Neill after nine or ten games. Let's get let's get a quarter of the season out of the way, see where we're at, see how we're doing. And if things aren't going well, then yeah, of course you've got the right to turn around and say, well, hang on a second, this isn't this isn't going in the right direction. But you've got to give him that period of time. Let him have another transfer window, a pre-season, and then the opening games in the Premier League. And then after seven, eight, nine, ten games, you can start to go right. This is the Gary O'Neill Bournemouth side. I'm on board or actually I'm struggling to identify with this team and we're not doing very well. We're in the bottom three. We're not scoring goals. Maybe he's not the right man. But the key thing is in all of that, just give him time, take a step back, let it breathe and then make your decision and, and, and you know, judge people fairly. Completely agree. Completely agree. Well, of course, you're going to be busy over the next couple of months because the transfer window is open and uh, the rumour mill has already started. Um, we've been linked, believe it or not, to Asmir Begovic today for a third spell um, at the club. Uh, Nicholas Jackson's popped back up again, Villarreal. There's a lot of talk about uh, Ganotto and Somerville from Leeds. Uh, Alex Scott, who's a Bristol City youngster. And then Robin Gosens as well, um, who, is, of course, is at Inter Milan played 14 minutes against Manchester City, who was previously at Atalanta as well. Um, is there any truth to all these rumours or is it just, <laughs> it, it, does it just go crazy? And it, it, a lot of these things are started by a man at the pub with his dog who's, you know, talking with a group of mates and just think, oh, well, he, he's going to be a good player. But where does all this come from, Mark? No, I think... <laughs> I think naturally there will be, just say most Premier League clubs want to strengthen in five positions. Yeah. They will have probably 30 names. Yeah. You know, they'll have number one target, number two, three, four, five, and so on and so forth. And what they will do is they will go out with their recruitment team and they will say, what's, what's the deal? How much will he cost? What's the agency fee? What does he want every week? How long a contract does he want? And so on and so forth. They will collate that information. They will put it into, um, you know, their, their, their database, their forms. Mm -hmm. And then they will present it to the manager. And they will go, well, he's our number one target, but he's going to be really expensive. 
But our number two target is perhaps a little bit cheaper than we thought. Uh, this works out. But what they do is they reach out to these people, to the agents, to the players, to the clubs. They find out what the deal is, what the information is. And of course, an agent will then go, oh, I've had a phone call from Man United, Newcastle, Bournemouth and Luton. Right. Let's get that out there because I want to sell my client. I want people to know that he's popular. I want to know, you know, what deals are out there on the table. I want to flush out other football clubs. So then you get this kind of rumour mill that starts where the club will go out and find out, for example, what the deal is for maybe six goalkeepers, eight goalkeepers, ten goalkeepers. Yeah. And then they will come back together and they'll go, right, we can get rid of those five, but these are the five that we'll focus on. And then they'll go from there. So that's sort of where things start from. Clubs just don't have five targets and go and get five targets. Mm -hmm. They'll have a list of targets in each position. And of course, financially, that will dictate a lot of what clubs can do. Uh, so they'll, they'll go through their, their targets and they'll go, well, we've got a number one target at left back. We've got a number one target at front. We've got a number one goalkeeping target. We've spent a lot of money to do that. So actually now we're going to have to go to our third target as a right back because we've already used up a big chunk of our money. So it's just a big game of chess, basically. Yeah. So that's essentially what's happened now. No players, agents or clubs really are making a decision on their future right now. You know, if, if I'm a footballer and I'm out of contract, I'm not making a decision now. I'm going to turn around to my agent and I'm going to say, well, let's, let's wait two or three weeks um, and let's see where we're at. Because why would I tie myself down to a club when there may be more money and a bigger club and European football six weeks down the line. So I'm happy with my position. I can wait and be patient and then go from there. So what you end up getting, and of course, in the world of social media and the passion that fans have for transfer activity, transfer news and speculation, you just have this big cauldron of information going in and all sorts of stuff coming out. And, um, you know, our transfer blog on skysports.com gets around three quarters of a million to a million unique visitors every single day. So that gives you an indication that you know, a million people just engaging with Sky Sports online want yeah. to know what's happening in the world of transfers. It's big business and a lot of money gets spent. Uh, and invariably, most of what gets said is crap. <laughs> it doesn't come true. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, you, like I've always said, I'd rather be accurate you know, yeah. and second than wrong and first. Um, and also you have to remember there are certain people within the media that don't have relationships with clubs so they can put out whatever they want. It doesn't affect them. doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter. You know, I, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to damage any contacts. Trust is such an important thing in football. So I'd always want to put the information out, but put it out at the right time. And there's nothing worse than maybe putting out some information about a player and then the deal's maybe at a precarious point and suddenly another football club comes in and then they lose the player. And then they turn around to you and say, well, Mark, well, if you hadn't put that all over Sky Sports, then that wouldn't have alerted the other club or that wouldn't have changed the dynamic or that other team wouldn't have offered him an extra £15,000 a week. So now we've lost him and we think it's your fault. So, you know, let, let again, just let things happen organically. I know that there's an appetite and a thirst for this kind of information. There are certain people on social media that just chuck stuff out there. I could put a list of 30 names out there right now of players that potentially Bournemouth could be interested in, and I might get four or five of them right. And then I could turn around at the end of the window and said, yeah, I told you, told you on June the 13th, that was it. See, that name there, I got it right, didn't I? Look at me first. 
well everyone can do that you just you know you shoot enough shots you're going to hit something i'd rather just wait be patient let things develop and try and bring accurate information because for me and for sky sports being accurate is far more important than being first and wrong that's what i've always said is yourself and chris temple that the fans really need to listen to because all this stuff that is online um I wouldn't be surprised if we signed none of these players <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And l- let's be fair. The players that we did sign during January, I didn't expect any of them to come to be fair. And they just come out of the woodwork and we was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, but of course, with regards to the transfer market and of course, fans are going to be eager for a little bit of news. Um, it's probably better to do the transfer. There's always this thing that teams want to be first, you know, start getting players in through the door first, but surely it's better as well to leave it towards the end as well to determine, right. Okay. See a couple of preseason games and then pinpoint exactly where you need, because things are going to change. Um, of course, Lerma's gone now and Zamora and, um, Stanislas, of course, as well, um, who we'll come on to in a bit. Um, but, of course, those players need replacing and need replacing with sensible signings. Do you feel that it's better to get the business done earlier or perhaps a little bit later once we've seen what the current squad have got? Yeah, well, I'm kind of in the middle of that. I think that if you've got two or three targets that you genuinely believe are going to improve the squad next season and the first 11, go and get them. You know, if you believe that they're the right players for you, just mm-hmm. go and get them and then let things evolve naturally. Eddie Howe was always keen to get the business done nice and early because on the 1st of July or whatever date it was, the players were due back in for pre-season training. He wanted the bulk of his squad in place, ready to go, because that six-week period for him was vital to getting what he wanted out of the team yeah. in terms of fitness levels, in terms of the DNA, the footballing style. And just understanding the football club and what that season was about. So for for, for Eddie, that was key for him. Gary O'Neill, uh, again, is in, in a similar mould. Uh, you know, he he liked to work with the players on the training pitch over pre-season, really get into them what he wants for for them in terms of the style and the DNA of the club and the the philosophy in terms of games and match days and and all that kind of stuff. So it would be very similar. It's obviously a, a bit of a, a tricky scenario because uh, Bournemouth. Gary O'Neill is the head coach. You've got a really experienced sporting director in Richard Hughes, who obviously has been at the club for a number of years and understands what that club's about, working with Neil, obviously, on the contracts and the finance and doing the right deals for the football club. So it works slightly differently um, compared to when Eddie was involved heavily with recruitment. Now it's it's um, obviously a sort of a team effort that they come together. So I think there'll be a little bit of work done early and then they'll naturally and organically let things evolve and and develop over the course of the window. Sometimes you get presented with things at the end of the window that you never really planned for. And perhaps if you spent all your money nice and early, then you'd be kicking yourself thinking, I know this happened a few years ago. It was a player that we got offered quite late on, um, but we'd already signed a couple of players in that position. And it became a little bit of a like, well, that's a shame you know we, we couldn't fit him in now financially it wouldn't quite work but if we'd have known six weeks ago we would have waited and done the deal 
Uh, and that's one of the things. Sometimes you get things done nice and early and you save yourself a few quid before the market goes a bit manic. Uh, sometimes you think, well, we should have been a little bit more patient. There's no right or wrong. I just think if you want to get the players in that you know are going to affect that 11, get them in early and then let the rest of the window uh, unfold naturally. And we've spoken before as well about how important Richard Hughes and Neil Blake are. And I think how undervalued they are by our fan base, really. Well, I think you can only judge um, those two on the deals that they do, the players that they sign, the way that the football club is run mm-hmm. uh, and what's happening. Um, and right now I'm seeing, you know, a team in the Premier League. Yeah. I'm seeing young players coming through the development squad. I'm seeing young, talented coaches um, working with these players, Tommy Elphick, Sean Cooper, Alan Connell, uh, and so on and so forth down the pyramid. Uh, I'm seeing training ground ambitions, things being built. The club's trying to move into new academy category, which means they go to Cat 2, which means they get a better quality of opposition and better quality games. And of course, you judge them on the, the transfer windows that have gone by. I thought recently we've had some weaker transfer windows where players haven't been good. But uh, you look at what happened. But obviously, there was under a different owner. So there are yeah. always reasons for why there isn't as much money spent or things done in a certain way. But you look at the last two windows, six players in January, 75 million quid spent. I think every single player had an impact uh, in one, you know, one form or another. Some of them were, were regular starters. Some of them were not as heavily involved, but they came into their own as the season progressed. Obviously, we didn't see much of Ilya, but he certainly started to look the part in the latter stages of the season. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Junior Traore had some injuries to contend with as well. Same with Dongo Watara. Uh, I know Randolph was very popular in and amongst the, the dressing room as well, and he's added to that department. Um, so I think you look at that window and you go, this was really successful. This was... Yeah. This was great. This was, this was a really strong window. And you look at the players that were key to the club at the end of the season as well. The likes of Neto, massively important, free transfer. Joe Rothwell, in the summer, really, really strong end to the season uh, after injury and looks so good as well. Free transfer. Um, and the other players that they signed, Tabs, like, wow, you know, how did we get him for 12 million quid or whatever it was we paid for him in the end? Like, what a player he'll be, um, yeah. you know, so you've got that. So you're starting to look at it and you think, well, actually, that was two really strong windows by the football club. The, tr- the free transfers and the, the activity that was done in the summer looked fantastic. Added to the money spent and the players that came in in January. And you've had two really strong windows there uh, and a really good foundation. And the most exciting thing for me is you're watching a lot of young players there. So they've got time to improve and grow and develop and get better. And also, we know that we need to make money. You know, Bournemouth is not going to be a, a Premier League side that players come to and think, well, I'll stay here for the rest of my career. They'll all think this is a stepping stone for me to move on to a bigger club in the Premier League. And like we did with Aaron Ramsdale and Nathan Aki and Callum Wilson, if we can develop these players, get the very best out of them and sell them on for a healthy profit that can be re- reinvested into new young players, then for me, that is like golden ticket. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we want to achieve. That's what we should be trying to to do, be as competitive as we can, play the best football and develop young players and make money and be a really sound business and continue to grow this legacy, then I think that would be massively successful for this football club. Yep, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, In your honest opinion, where is it that we need to strengthen on the pitch? 
Um, I've got a couple of ideas myself, but um, where do you feel from watching the side all season? Um, where do you think we need players in? Um, well, it's just a difficult <laughs> one to answer, is that everyone can say yeah. every position, you know, you could argue. I certainly feel, and I, it's difficult because I don't want to upset players if, if they're watching. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I think Dom, Dom, Dom's been brilliant. I, I really think Dom's game, all-round game, has improved um, mm. this season. Uh, I think his work off the ball during the campaign was tremendous. I think the way he ran into the channels, he pulled defenders around, he worked really hard. I know, ultimately, he'll be judged on goals. Yeah. And he didn't get as many goals as perhaps he would have liked. Um, but I've been really impressed with him. I think it'd be great to see a striker like Cal who can get, you know, 15, 20 goals in the top flight. I think if we can find that type of player, that would be well, that would be brilliant. Um, obviously, we potentially need uh, a full-back having lost Jack Stacey um, and obviously Jay-Z. So maybe a right-back and a and a left back on either side, they could be players that we're, we're looking at. Obviously, we know we know Smithy's coming towards the end of his best years. Um, what a player he's been for the club. I still think he's got a massive role to play. He's a great character in the dressing room. We know that he's got uh, a lot to offer as well. But uh, I think to rely on him for, for 38 Premier League games might be might be tough for his, for his body. Um, but he definitely needs to be around it. And if we can find a young Adam Smith, then I think that would be brilliant. Um, and again, maybe through the middle, obviously, to replace Jefferson. Someone who can be that midfield pivot, someone that can pick up the ball, can break things up, can play, wants to get forward, score goals, be a physical presence, then then that would be a key position. Um, you know, obviously, maybe a goalkeeper. Uh, obviously, Neto's here for, for some time yet. We know that because of the contract he signed. I don't think Mark Travers will want to stay on the bench. I think he's a young lad. He needs to play. Yeah. He needs to get out on loan, get another 40, 50 games under his belt, and that will do him the world of good. Um so I think that those those types of things are in, important. Um, uh, and then may, maybe an advanced midfielder. There may be one or two tweaks and changes that, that, that come our way. Um, maybe there may be one or two players out of the academy and the development squad that might be flirting in and around it. I've seen a couple of matches, Hampshire Senior Cup games and various other matches where you, you look at players and you think, well, yeah, he's, he's almost ready for that, that sort of step up. He's, he's getting closer to it. And I think it's important that we continue to allow young players to develop. Look at Jay-Z, look at Jaden Anthony, you know, look at the opportunities that they've been given and, and how well they've done. And I think that's important for our club. So, yeah, I think we've got an exciting time ahead. I think um, this could be a good window. I know that Bill Foley wants to continue to support Richard O'Neill in the transfer window. He wants to invest again. He wants to bring the right type of players into the football club. Uh, obviously, they have to do it sensibly and sustainably as yeah. well. They can't just go and spend another 100 million or whatever and go, yeah, let's crack on. You know, we still have to be conscious that the most important thing next season is to finish 17th or higher. That's number one, because that will enable the club to continue to grow off the pitch. Premier League money means the training ground development can continue. It means a new stadium on the horizon potentially can continue when that big chunk of cash comes in for staying in the top flight, then that keeps everything else moving uh, in the right direction as well. So for me, next season, let's let's make sure we, we finish 17th or higher, get another set of um, money from the top flight, and then that can continue to develop and grow the club in the way that we'd like to. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be an exciting window. I think there'll be a lot of happening, you know, a lot of things happening. There's a, a lot of clubs that want to be active. And I think Bournemouth will most certainly be be one of those sides that, that want to improve and want to build upon the incredible season they had last uh, last campaign in, and, and, you know, where they finished 39 points and, right, let's try and better it now. 
So, of course, um, with the players leaving, uh, Jefferson Lerma was, of course, the big, big name that left the club. And, again, there was a lot of rumours circulating around, um, and there was mentions of him going to Spain. But going to Crystal Palace was an interesting one because, of course, Jefferson's English is fairly limited. I think we, it's fair to say that. Um, and, of course, I believe his wife is Spanish as well, isn't she? Um, was you surprised by the move to Crystal Palace? And do you think that there's... Because I thought that being similar sort of clubs, I thought, why is he why is he left here to go to there? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm as surprised as... <laughs> Every Bournemouth fan, I think I'm as surprised as everyone at the club. I didn't see that coming. I genuinely thought he'd probably go back to La Liga. I know that the club made you know, numerous offers to try and keep Jefferson and provide him and his family with the, the right assurances uh, that he needed um, and, and give him the, the financial rewards that he felt he deserved. I think the offer uh, you know, from the club was a very, very good one. Um, and... Um, I don't quite understand why uh, he's chosen Crystal Palace. Great club. Great, great fans. Love Crystal Palace fans. They're brilliant, really passionate. I love going to Selhurst Park. Um, but again, I, I don't understand it. And, and like we were saying earlier on in the season, you know, if I'm Jefferson Lerner, I'm saying to my agent, well, hang on, I'm a free transfer. Um, I can get a big signing on fee. I can get decent wages. Uh, I can play at the, in the top flight of any division in Europe, pretty much. Um, so I'm just going to enjoy my summer. I'm going to keep myself fit, uh, and I'm going to wait and just see how things unfold. Because there may be a really big side that look at him and go, "He could be a really good squad player. Um, he's, he can start games, um, but also um, he fits into our price bracket for a squad player." And I'm talking top six. You know, I'm talking one of the big clubs could turn around and say, "Well, yeah, Jefferson Lerma." We don't see him starting every single game, but we know that he can start in the Premier League. But, you know, what a, what an asset to have in the squad. Um, because, you know, top six players, you know, cost 150 a week, maybe, you know, in and around that. And, and Jeff wouldn't be anywhere near that. So to get a player on a free transfer that's played in the Premier League. Um, yeah, so that, so that sort of surprises me, the timing of it. Um, the nature of the the the, the, the signing, uh, I think I'm pretty certain. I, I don't know for a fact, but I, I'm pretty certain the Bournemouth offer would have almost been identical, if not better, um, than Crystal Palace's. Uh, so, it, yeah, I guess the opportunity to live in London for his family, maybe. Um, but yeah, don't know what to say about it. I'm, I was surprised as everyone else. It was bizarre because I I thought he was going back to the league, and it always goes. He's going with my best wishes because. He had the opportunity when we were relegated out of the Premier League. He had the opportunity to leave the club and he helped get the club back into the Premier League, unlike a couple of players. You know, I won't mention any names, but the thing is, he's, he fought to get the club back here. Um, and, you know, that stands for a lot, but it was just the nature and who he's gone to, really, um, mm. which was a complete shock. Um, 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Awesome. Zamora is another one who is off. And this, for me, was really, really disappointing at the time. Um, but it felt more the club, the Italian club, the Udinese, who was announcing it more than uh, Jordan was. Yeah, again, another one. Um I think ultimately, you know, and this is this is this is the nature of football. You know, these players have very very short careers, and mm-hmm. trust me, I've seen players get treated very badly by clubs, um, and the fans don't kick up a fuss. The fans only kick up a fuss when the player wants to do themselves, um, you know, do themselves a favour and get a better club, and move on for more more money. And the fans don't like that, but they don't seem to worry too much when they get the clubs treat the players badly. So you have to understand this is a business for them. This is this is work, this is money, this is their livelihood, this is their families. So I have no problem ever really with a player departing. And Jefferson goes with, you know, funny enough, the best wishes of, of every single Bournemouth fan. I think he's one of those few players that will get cheered when he comes to Vitality next season. Before the game, they adore him, they love him. He gave everything. He stayed for the championship campaigns, got themselves back up. He moves on as a free transfer. The contract come, came to an end. You know, there's no, nothing wrong with that. You know, players don't have to stay, don't have to sign on. Um, I don't think he was a minute's problem. Um, I don't think he ever put in a transfer request. I don't think he ever caused issues off the pitch. He always turned up. He knew he was potentially leaving and still played in the last few Premier League games and gave everything. Um, so, therefore, you, you know, you have no issues there. Jay-Z, again, I think this was... Um, Slightly different set of circumstances. I'm surprised that, that the you know the, the the changes he's decided to make, an opportunity to play in Syria for a young lad. Wow, that's incredible. You know, you don't yeah. get those moments. You know, going to Winter, going to AC, the same stadium. Um, you know, Roma, Juventus. You know, these are big, big names. And what's an yeah. opportunity for a young lad to go to a different country, learn a new language, uh, and take on that challenge? Uh, so I'm I'm absolutely you know buzzing in that respect. I felt like he he probably you know should have stayed at Bournemouth, should have signed a contract a long time ago and continued his development. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't feel right for him. No problem. You know he moves down to the 23s. He carries on playing with them until until the summer and then moves on. But again, great lad, great character. Will always be very very fondly mem- remembered for that campaign, getting out of the championship. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, fair play to the lad. Um, I wish him all the best. He's, he's been, he, he was a really nice lad. Never, never saw him and Jaden. They were, you know, as thick as thieves, always together. Um, and they, they were always pleasant, polite, respectful, friendly, kind, shake your hand, say hello, give you an interview and no issues with that whatsoever. Slightly surprised, but also excited for him because he's got, a, you know, an incredible opportunity at his age to go and try something completely new. And then maybe one day he'll be back in the Premier League. 
No, fair enough. And to be honest, like I say, I think it was more the club that, you know, putting it out and announcing it during the season, which I think upset the fans more than uh, Jordan Zamora actually, because of course he retweeted it as soon as it went up, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like you say, he's a young lad and, Mm. you know, he's got to do what's best for him. But one player I'm actually really sad to see leaving the club junior Stanislas after all his years of service you know getting us out of the championship the first time around being a big big part of that and then you know subsequent years in the Premier League um scored some to be honest Stanislas never scored you know a poor goal he always scored worldies didn't he yeah um <laughs> what do you think the future holds for him now I think he's just got to find a happy place. Um, yeah. You know, I think Junior is one of those footballers that unfortunately has been let down by his body. Um, what you know, I, I cannot sit here and say enough nice things about Junior Stanislas. He is one of football's good guys. Yeah. He's such a, a warm gentleman. Um, you know, proper player, technically so good. He gave so much to the club. Uh, had been on the whole journey, you know, right from, you know, tw- you know, 2014-15 championship campaign, getting into the Prem, staying there, you know, utter moments of brilliance, um, some of his free kicks, some of his goals, some of his impact substitutions, some of the things he did on the ball. Um, but most importantly, the, the person he was off the pitch, um, you know, if you had a daughter and she brought him home, you'd be well happy because he's a proper, proper man. You know, he's a proper good guy. Um, I love spending time with him. I have so much respect for him. I really hope he can find a club that he can continue to play and develop. I hope his body can can hold out for a few more years and can give him, you know, another 100 games um, in professional football because there's no question he's got the ability technically. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just I, I absolutely adore the bloke. And there will never be a player, you know, he's one of the original kind of, you know, good gang, you know, that that team, Matty Ritchie, Mark Pugh, Charlie Daniel, Simon Francis, Tommy Elphick, Stephen Cook, um, you know, I'm going I'm to miss someone out, you know, Callum Wilson, uh, Harry, Drew Sermon, you know, that group, he is a very big, firm part of that, that era and that dynasty and that group that took us to places at the time that we'd never been before. Yeah. And he will go down in history as being one of the, the good, good guys. Um, and, um, yeah, it's sad, really sad that it's come to an end. Um, but it was inevitable. And, um, yeah, I just hope he can stay fit and, and, and just, you know, his body gives him a bit more because he is, yeah, he's one of my favourites. And I don't have many of those, but he was one of the good ones. And, of course, Jack Stacey is also leaving the club as well. And he was always a true professional when he come on. And, you know, when he started a lot of games when Smithy was injured, do you feel that maybe, and, and this was something that did go through my mind, because Smithy, you know, is coming to towards the end of his career, hopefully he has got quite a while left with us, um, but, I thought Stacey staying might have made a bit of sense. Yeah, I think Jack needed to play football. I think yeah. Jack, again, has been a, a huge part of the squad recently. Never got as many games as perhaps he'd have liked. Um, 
no question about his ability in the championship, um, you know, and, and perhaps could have been better in the Prem if he'd got a, a consistent run of games and got more more minutes on the pitch. But again, whenever I saw him around the training ground on a match day, really good guy, um, always stop for a chat, always, you know, be be pleasant and, you know, around you. Uh, so, yeah, he was another one I, I look back on and, and think, yeah, he could have perhaps we expect a little bit more from him. Um, you know, felt he develop in a slightly different way. I think he was naturally seen as the long-term successor for, for Smithy, um, but it never quite worked out that way. But I still, you know, it's not to say that he didn't do well for the club. He was brilliant, never let them down, gave everything, good trainer, good guy. Um, and he needs to play football. He's got an opportunity at Norwich now. So, you know, that's a club that I've got big ambitions to get back into the Premier League. Uh, so I think, yeah, that could be could be a good spot for him to to continue his his career. And uh, I wish you know I wish him all the best. You know, these are all good guys. You know, that's the one good thing that that is important for Bournemouth's recruitment. They sign the right characters and the right personalities. And I think that's what you're seeing from all the players that come in, and, and certainly the ones that have departed. And I think that's a great move actually for Jack Stacey to go yeah. to Norwich. I think you know they're going to be a club that are going to be right in there, right in the mix. And, you know, I'm sure he'll get quite a lot of game time. Um, they've been very successful. Um, one thought as well um, was that maybe because Bournemouth have been linked to Max Ahrens before, maybe then, you know, that could be something that could sweeten the deal, so to speak. Is that something that is possible? I guess it's possible. Um Max Ahrens is one of those players that had been watched from the age 16, 17, 18, uh, 19. A lot of clubs were interested in him. There's a lot of talk about big money moves away from Norwich City. Um, Barcelona at one stage inquired as to his availability. They wanted to take him on loan, but Norwich City said, "Mm, no, we're not really interested in loaning out one of our best players. Um, but again, probably hasn't stayed. Probably stayed at Norwich a bit too long. Hasn't developed in a way that perhaps everyone expected him to. Um, and he will probably say this is now the right opportunity for him to get his new, you know, new chance. Um, you know, a new start, fresh start somewhere, a new club, new manager, new training ground, new facilities, new new set of fans to to take him on the next part of his journey. But um, I could see, I could see why Bournemouth would potentially be interested in him, but I don't know if they are or not. And that's that's me being honest. No, exactly. um, but um, yeah, he certainly he certainly fit the bill in in one respect. Um, but um, yeah, don't know any information on that one. No, fair enough, fair enough. And of course, we had quite a lot of players out on loan, um, the likes of Kilkenny, Dembele as well. Um, got a lot of time for Dembele, but do you feel that? those players on loan will be loaned out again? Or um, do you think that some of them might be integrated into the first team? Because, you know, Ben Pearson, for example, got some game time at the start of the season. And I think he offers something a little bit different. And now Jefferson's left. If we don't replace Jefferson in time for the start of the season, do you feel that maybe he might come back into the fold? Well, I think you start on the first day of pre-season with a clean slate. I think the manager in his mind will have kind of a vision of what players he wants to keep, what players will need to go, what players that a club need to offload for financial reasons as well. You know, you don't want to have yeah. big earners sat around 
in the development team playing you know games that aren't you know important for the first team um uh, and of course you don't want people to be unhappy you know players are are human beings and they need to be in a place where they're comfortable and if they're not in the match day squad on a on a saturday and they're sat in the stands that's not good for their mental health and you know it's not good for the bank balance if you know we're paying them to sit in the stands so I think there's there's always a bit of you know needs to be a bit of joined up thinking about what's the right thing to do with each player. What's you know you know and there'll be players that come back into preseason that you didn't expect to be in amongst it and they they're, they're really fit, they're ready to go, they they look sharp, they have a couple of really promising games, and the manager says, well, I want you a part of my squad. If you're going to play like this, then you're going to be in my thinking. Um, so I think there's always that blank canvas on the first day of preseason, and it's up to the players to try and change the mind of the manager. Um, and obviously the club will work in the background to try and find the right uh, opportunities should they present them to players that they don't see in their long-term plan. And I think that's just one of those things that happens. You bring players in with a view that that, that player will be good for us and it just doesn't work out. That player can develop and that player won't. And it's, it's just, you, you know, every single signing in the transfer window, every single thing you do in terms of football is a gamble. You know, whether it's tactics or players, formations... Uh, and you just have to try and limit that gamble um, to be less of a gamble. Um, but sometimes things just don't work out. That's just that's just the way that they, you know, the things unfold. So it's just a case of waiting to see how they come back, uh, and then of course what's right for the players individually and what's right for the club. We did mention it earlier on, and I guess FFP is becoming something that is being highlighted in the Premier League. Um, of course, there's a situation at Manchester City, not sure what's happening there. But there's also a big situation at Everton around FFP. And one big concern for me is how far away or how much have we got to play with in that scope? Are we Have we got quite some way to go? Have we got quite some leniency around that? Or is it going to be quite tight? We have to do you know, play within a certain field. Now Bill Foley's on board and can pump money in. Is it still a case that we've got to be so, so careful? I don't honestly know Bournemouth's situation. Um, uh, I don't think, because of the nature of the way FFP works, it's done in what's called a three-year cycle. Yeah. So, you know, the money you can spend is calculated over three years' worth of turnover, there are lots of factors involved in that, um, and therefore you you kind of have to fall into those parameters. Obviously, with the club staying in the Premier League for a second season, you know, finishing bottom of the Premier League is worth about 120, 130 million yeah. uh, alone. Not taking into consideration, you know, ticket sales and commercial activity and other things that go on in and around the club. So I, I don't know, but offhand, Bournemouth's turnover is probably something between 115 and 175 million pound a year. Um, so I think you can go to a, a certain percentage of that turnover. So loose maths, loose maths, you can you can start to work out that Bournemouth can probably spend I don't know whatever 150 million a year. I think yeah. something like that. So. Let's be honest, we spent what 25, 30 million in January, yeah. uh, 75 in the, the uh, in the summer, so, sorry, 25, 30 in the summer, 75 in January. And bearing in mind, this is the other thing as well that, that makes it a bit of a, a funny scenario. Just because you pay um, whatever, I'm trying to think of uh, Tavernier, for example, yeah. uh, 12 and a half million pounds for him, um, that isn't 
twelve and a half million pounds. There you go, Middlesbrough. That's your money. Bomb. It will be maybe six, you know, three million pounds now, three million pounds in twelve months, so on and so forth, etc., etc., etc. So that will obviously come into that financial period for the um, FFP. Um, you don't necessarily just because Bill Foley committed seventy-five million pound in January doesn't mean that there was seventy-five million pound going out of the club during that time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot more so, sense so, to me. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, you can you can actually go well. Actually, I don't think Bournemouth's FFP rules will affect them considerably during this summer window because they'd have to spend a huge chunk of money, you know, a hundred million plus. Um, to, to worry about that. So I think um, they can be a little bit more clever with what they do and how they do it. Um, but you, you, you know, you need to speak to a, a proper football finance man to get the intricacies of how that all works. I, I have a very, very loose understanding of, of FFP. Um, but it's, um, it's not an issue as far as I'm concerned. But again, you know, alternatively, and this is something I've said before, you know, if Bournemouth were to go and spend 200 million this summer, I'd be a little bit worried. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want Bournemouth to go and just splash the cash and pay people £150,000 a week and, yeah, let's go for it. I'd much rather that the money was invested in the training ground and the stadium and, you know, on young players that potentially we could sell and make money on. Um, and, you know, that was something that Maxim had. You know, one of his philosophies was, you know, I can pay £20 million for a player and I can sell him for 40 or 20 or 10 and get some money back. But if I pay a player 150 grand a week, I don't ever get that money back. You know, that's that money's gone. So, um, yeah, I think the club will be sensible, as they always have done uh, in the window. Um, so, therefore, I don't think the FFP stuff will be too much of an issue. Obviously, I think FFP's wages go into that money as well. So, it's a very complicated thing. And I've, that's a really hashed up rubbish answer. <laughs> Do you know what, Mark? It's a lot better than the answer that I would give because <laughs> my maths is absolutely atrocious. I wouldn't be able to tell you. You know, maybe Sam. You know, that's that's why Sam's so good. Is you know he can explain it a little bit more to me. But still, you know, that was a really good answer. No, thank you, mate. Um, of course, Everton though um, are subject to all this, and hopefully, Touchwood, we won't be in that relegation battle. Um, it's likely that we possibly could be, um, but Everton, of course, could well be deducted points because of their situation. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, and the three teams that have come up, to be fair, I'm starting to feel that quite confident about this season going into it already I know it's only June but I'm actually quite confident going into this season because Luton of course um, you know done fantastically but I'm going to have to really spend to improve their team Um, Sheffield United you could probably make an answer the same Burnley you know seem to be quite strong but of course if Everton get deducted points and they're already not particularly the strongest team in the Premier League. Um, we could probably rest a little bit easier going into the season. I certainly feel like you, you, I know the direction you're headed in and it's difficult yeah. to not, not agree, really. I spoke to the Luton Town chairman at Wembley 
um, uh, in the mix zone uh, by the tunnel. And I said, what's the, what's the plan for the transfer window? What's the plan for next season? He said, we won't be spending huge sums of money. You know, this is a, a, a bank, you know, this is a, a banking situation that is going to, you know, bankroll a new training ground, a new stadium and keep this club going for many, many years. And it was sort of almost quite refreshing to hear that. They will get sucked into spending some money and they will have to, you know, improve on the wages and do things. But I think a big chunk of their money will be ring-fenced for a future legacy. So therefore, naturally, even if Luton spent 100 million in the transfer window, they would find next season tough because they, you know, they haven't been in the top flight for however many years, 30 odd years. They were unfortunately one of the sides that signed the declaration to the, to the, you know, to be a part of this new Premier League and got relegated the season before it kicked in. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So you'd naturally say Luton would be down there. Um, the same with Sheffield United. They've got big financial problems at the moment. Um, players potentially departing, new ownership on the horizon, but that seems to have gone very quiet and that's taken a long time. They were under a transfer embargo for big sections of last season. Um, so that's another issue um, that, that you know they're going to have to contend with and it'll be tough to compete for them. Burnley, I think, will be slightly different. I think they've got a manager who's probably one of the hottest prospects outside of the top flight or now in the top flight in world football. And there will be a lot of big clubs that are watching how he gets on. They're already in pre-season action. Everton potentially, of course, you know, could struggle. I'm not so sure about the points deduction. That could come in, you know, two years' time. Uh, it could be a financial, you know, penalty as opposed to a, uh, a numerical, you know, points deduction. Um, but you certainly, you know, you can you can find two or three or four clubs that you think potentially should be beneath Bournemouth. But the one caveat to that is everyone thought Bournemouth would be 20th last season. Everyone thought that they would be rubbish and they'd struggle and they'd get the lowest points total ever. And then guess what happened? 15th and 39. So, you know, write these sides off at your peril. Um, but I genuinely believe that there is, you know, a good reason for optimism. If we can show the type of form early on that we did in our spell between March and April, um, and we can continue to develop, sign the right players, then, yeah, you would be looking at it going, we can be optimistic that, that we could have another season, you know, a third season in the Premier League in our second spell. So, yeah, I get, I get your, your sort of mindset and your thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, it just certainly feels like it It might be, um, you know, kind of a bottom four or five, you know, a middle chunk and then the top eight. But hopefully Bournemouth can be in that middle chunk and, and, not, and not be in a, a relegation battle. You mentioned there, Mark, as well, uh, with regards to Luton and their legacy. Um, of course, the training ground is being sorted now at Camford Magna. It's looking really, really good. And some pictures are being sent out of that. I think probably there is going to be a tension now on the stadium or the future of Dean Court. And for me, I'll be gutted to leave the current stadium, getting promoted to the Premier League, you know, working our way up five great seasons before relegation, you know, which was quite sad during COVID. And it would be nice to build on that. And I spoke to Eddie Mitchell quite some time ago and I understand we could redevelop it up to around about the 20,000 mark yeah but do you feel that Bill Foley is going to look at maybe moving the club out of the current stadium maybe not very far um, 
you know, there's been rumours, and again, it's all rumours um, about the car park and over the current training grounds. Do you feel that might be the way he goes so it's a ground which can be expandable as the club grows? Yeah, so I think um, there's, there's, you know, all cards are on the table. Um, do you try and buy back a, a stadium that you sold for three and a half million quid, um, you know, however many years ago, 15, 15 odd years ago now, can't remember the exact time, uh, you know, do you try and buy that back and develop that? But there's obviously restrictions because you don't have a lot of room behind the east stand. You don't have a lot of room behind the north stand. The south stand you can develop and build. The main stand's pretty much what it is. What it is. So, or do you take all the money you spend on developing that and buying that back and just go right? Let's start from from scratch. Let's build build something now. So I think, um, yeah, I think they're, they're they're exploring every option. What is the best financially? Um, you know, I love the fact that you know you're in Kings Park and you know you you've sort of got you know community around you. Um, you know, you Pokestown Station and Bournemouth Station, and you can walk down Holdenhurst, and you've got the park, and you've got schools and houses, and you've got a bit of character because those stadiums that are just in the middle of nowhere are just yeah. soulless. Oh yeah. Um, I just, I just, you know, it's, and I understand you've got 100 plus years of history at Dean Court that you just don't want to say goodbye to. Um, I just think the most important thing is we just get, you know, get it right for the future of the football club. You know, we want kids to be able to come and watch Bournemouth play week in, week out. So we need more seats. We need more corporate, corporate hospitality. We need to continue to develop the club. We can't do that where we are at the moment. So it, it has to move on. But again, it's that catch-22. You need to be in the Premier League, really, to spend 100 odd million on a new stadium. But you know, you drop down, then how does that affect it? And so on and so forth. I know that Bill has huge, huge, massive ambitions for the club. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to be someone that takes it to a new place. He wants to develop it and build it and leave a legacy. Um, and that ultimately will involve a new stadium. Uh, but I still think they're at the, the early stages of, you know, the, the athletics track and, and all that sort of stuff. And people talk about Hearn and Ringwood and so on and so forth and other places potentially where you could take the stadium too um but i still think that's some way off i think the most important thing at the minute let's get the training ground done let's get that as a you know top class world-class facility that people want to come to bournemouth because they can see they're going to develop as players because of the facilities that training ground when that's sorted then they can start to go right let's look at let's look at other things let's let's now address the stadium and let's see what the right thing to do is but there were games at the back end of last season where you could have got tickets for you know they they weren't sold out So, you know, people can't say they want a bigger stadium and a new stadium when, when you don't, you know, sell out Dean Court. So it's, it's that balance of, of getting things uh, done in the right way. But, but it's the young generation, it's the Bournemouth fans of tomorrow that we need to be able to get into that stadium now so they can start their journey as Bournemouth fans like me and you did many, many years ago. You probably can remember, um, actually, with regards to... Because we've got quite a big catchment area. If you look at the whole of Somerset, um, you could say that we might even be able to grab a couple of fans off Southampton's patch now. Um, now they're down. But they used to always do it to us. I remember seeing the Daily Echo and there was adverts to go to St Mary's in there. Um, how big is that going to be for this football club to tap into those markets where we haven't? And how do we do that? Well, you know, ultimately, young players 
are going to want to play at the biggest club they can with the best yeah. facilities. You know, if you, if, if, you know, if you've got kids who are 10 years old and they're being given the opportunity to play for Bournemouth Academy or Southampton's mm -hmm. Academy, they're going to choose Southampton's because of the yeah. facilities, because of the size of the club, because of the history, because of, of what's going on. That's just natural. But by building the training ground, developing the academy and putting yourselves in the better facilities, that will make that decision a, a more difficult decision for young yeah. families. But of course, the club wants to expand. It needs to you know, develop and find the best players and the best coaches and, and, and stretch their net as far as they possibly can to as many different locations as they can to, to attract players and develop players and, and so on and so forth. Um, I think, you know, ultimately Southampton will always be a bigger club, certainly for the next yeah. few years. I think the size of a club can really only be determined on, you know, the, the, the club's history, the, the size of the fan base, the, the average gates, you know, the, the turnover of the club. Um, so, that, you know, that's, they're, they're the things that can constitute whether you're a big or medium or small club. Um, so I think, yeah, I think we're, we're in a bigger division than them. So we've got to aim to be the number one club on the South Coast. We've got to aim to be that side that people want to play for, want to be a part of and continue to grow and develop. I'm pulling those fans in from those areas. Um, I'm guessing we're going to have to get, and that's something I think that Jim Frivola would be, is going to be imperative behind, you know, to actually tap into those markets, um, you know, across Somerset, for example, um, to actually get more fans down to games. So it, does justify a bigger stadium yeah absolutely jim has been outstanding off the field in reaching out to the fan base being interactive on social media developing the club commercially being that link between neil and richard and bill and bill's team uh, and he's come over and he's been a breath of fresh air and i love some of the things i'm hearing about him and what he's doing around the club and he's really trying to make bournemouth a better place to be around and to go to on a match day um, I think that's what we need. That, those kind of people, those characteristics and, and those kind of characters is, is what Bournemouth's about. Those, those kind of open book people and people that just want to be a part of the community. You see his family are over, his, his kids are over. That's what we are about. That is what this club is built on. Um, and I think Jim's exciting. I think Bill's exciting. The experience we've got from the guys that have been in and around it for a number of years um, there's a really good mix of people at the heart of our club now. Uh, and I'm genuinely excited about the future. Uh, and Bournemouth fans should be as well. You know, this is this is a good time. This is a new era. Um, we've had the, the Maxim Demin years that have been some of the most exciting in the club's history ever. Um, yeah. and, and let's hope that the Bill Foley years can be even more exciting. Um, and I'm excited to be on the, the Bournemouth train to see where it takes us. There'll be bumps in the road. No question about that. But I think everyone at the top of the club has got the ambitions and the collective exciting thought processes that need to happen there to hopefully start something that we'll look back on in five or ten years' time and go, what about that for a journey? Yeah, no, most definitely. And there's always that nervousness when you've got a fantastic owner like Maxim Denham who has taken the club through so many steps of the ladder to get us into the Premier League and then somebody else takes over because you've seen clubs being taken over um, for example Leeds fans aren't particularly happy with their owners well until they've recently been bought out um, of course 
There's all the stories about Manchester United and the Glazers. Um, and further down the pyramid as well, um, you look at Birmingham and the situations that they had. But I get a general, g- genuine feel that Bill Foley and the team, you know, want just the very, very best for Bournemouth. And I think we're lucky again in that sense. Definitely. I think we've been lucky, really, really lucky. I don't think, you know, there's not many fans in the country that could have the type of transition from one owner who is incredibly successful to another owner who's been successful in a short space of time as well. Um, and you always worry about ownership. You know, you look at Wigan or Reading or, you know, there's, there's, there's clubs there, fans there that are going through the mill and they're worried about and South End and so on and so forth, that are worried about their existence of their club. And we're not worrying about our existence. We're worrying about how far up the Premier League we can finish. So I think that's testament to Bill Foley um, and the people that we've got at the club, you know, that, that have you know, kept that club running uh, through the relegation to the Championship. The club's sustainable. It's making money. It's not, well, not, not losing huge amounts of money. They're, they're, you know, they're operating in a, in a safe and sound manner. Um, and I think that's all we could ever hope for. Well, thank you so much again, Mark, for coming on the show and hopefully, fingers crossed, um, a very, very exciting year to come. Um, no doubt you're going to be reporting on lots and lots of transfer activity, um, but there's going to be loads of stories coming out and loads of rumours that um, we need not pay much attention to, isn't there, as <laughs> well, um, from other outlets, shall we say. <laughs> But, um, yeah, do tell us as well what you're up to during the summer because it doesn't stop, does it, really? No, non-stop, no. I've, uh, I'm off to Malta for a couple of days with England and then up to Old Trafford for uh, the second Euro qualifying match against North Macedonia. So I've got a bit of international duty over the next week mm-hmm. or so. Then the transfer window will be in full swing. Um, pre-season campaigns will start beginning of July. The, the window will roll on and, and then, you know, the fixtures are out this week. It, it'll be non-stop um, and then you'll, you'll catch your breath at some stage in September with the first international break. So, uh, yeah, busy summer ahead and uh, hugely excited for another campaign at Sky covering, you know, the, the beautiful game, the game that I love so much and, and lucky to be, you know, closely associated to, with Bournemouth watching things unfold day to day. So, um, yeah, exciting times ahead. Definitely. Well, thank you again, Mark. And no doubt we'll catch up with you very soon. Brilliant. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Cheers, mate. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this show. Please remember to hit the like, the subscribe and the bell button below to be alerted to any new videos we do here on Up the Cherries and All Departments. Please do check out our previous interviews. You'll be able to find them all on this channel. We'll also be doing a lot more content during the summer as well. So hit that subscribe button and you'll be alerted to anything we do. But until the next video, up the cherries and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for joining us. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.